1: If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to.
0: This morning's reading is from Luke 9, uh, 28-36. The Transfiguration. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Jesus said, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for taking us through another day, through another week. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for the opportunity to come boldly before your throne and to just worship you and spend time in your presence. Lord, I just pray for the rest of the service. I pray for Sheon as he comes to deliver your word to your people, Father God. I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to receive from you today, Father God. We thank you so much for the gift of your word, for the gift of your son, and for what you're doing in your church and in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name.
1: Good morning. It's so good to, to be with you all. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to get back into the book of Luke. I, I always tell Marv, uh, it's always so good to talk about and to listen to uh, an account of the life of Jesus. There's just something unique about being in the Gospels and hearing about his life and ministry. So I'm excited to to help us back into this series. And by way of a reminder, I wanna give us a quick recap of of where we've been in the book of Luke so far. It's been a couple months since we were in it. So this is just as much uh, for me as it is for, for all of us. So at the beginning, the promise and the birth of Jesus and John the Baptist. And then it followed up with the ministry and arrest of John the Baptist. Uh, Third, the baptism and the early ministry of Jesus. So we saw that. And then the calling of the disciples, the healing of diseases. And then we'll go to the next slide. The call to a new way of living, repentance. Uh, The selection of the apostles. Then the sermon on the plain. The call to live by faith. And The call to follow Jesus in the path of suffering, the, the path that he is going to walk is the path that he calls us as his disciples to walk with him. And then the passage just before, the claim of Jesus being the son of man. And that brings us right to the passage that we're in today. So Luke uh, chapter 9 verses 28 to 36, and I'm titling the message, I can see clearly now. If, if it brings to mind the song that was partially intentional. So, so let, it, let it remain in your mind if it, if it needs to be. Uh, so in September, when we acquired our church offices, Marv and I were in there building up bookshelves. So we did uh, what anyone would do with Ikea furniture. We threw out the Allen key and took out the power tools um, because that's how you properly build Ikea furniture. Uh, so the first three went great. The next two, not so much. It just wasn't like coming together for some reason. We were trying, we were unscrewing things, putting it back in, but it just wasn't working. I'm not going to say whose fault it was. Um, But then we finally took a look at the instructions. (laughs) We finally took a look at the instructions and then we realized we were building it upside down. See, when we see things clearly, it helps us. Seeing things clearly help us to do other things. For example, clear recipes help us to make good food. Clear directions help us to get somewhere on time. Clear expectations help us to do a task well or to relate to other people well. In this text, Luke wants to make it abundantly clear who Jesus is. He wants us to see Jesus clearly. And why? Here's the reason. And this is our big takeaway for today. Seeing Jesus clearly helps us to follow him faithfully. That might not be on the slides, but that's okay. Seeing Jesus clearly helps us to follow him faithfully. See, up until this point in the book of Luke, there's been much confusion on who Jesus is. Everyone has an opinion. Here's an example of uh, of a select number of people who've said something about Jesus, And it's this, the disciples say this, who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey? They don't know who he is. John the Baptist himself, are you the one that was promised? Herod, who is this I hear such things about? Even the crowds around Jesus think that Jesus is either John the Baptist, Elijah, or another prophet resurrected from the grave. And he, but Peter, he gets it right, God's Messiah. Now, this is the right answer, but he doesn't fully understand what it means. See, for the people of God, the Messiah, they understood that to be a military leader. But, but Jesus makes it clear to Peter that, that the Messiah walks the path of suffering, and that path of suffering is what's expected for his disciples to walk alongside with him. Now, if you're Peter, you're probably wondering, what did I get myself into. But this passage, God doesn't leave us wondering. He gives us a very clear picture of who Jesus is. And He does this so that we would have the perseverance and the strength to follow Jesus faithfully. And my aim with this message is to help us do that, to see Jesus clearly, to see that He is worth following. So let's look at the passage, verse 28. About eight days after this conversation, so this is the conversation where Jesus asks Peter, who do you think I am? After this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So Peter confesses that you're God's Messiah and then Jesus responds by saying, carry your cross and follow me. After this, he takes up just the three Peter, James, and John, away to a mountain to pray. Now, just like my son, Shepherd, when he's singing, imitates me by throwing his head back when he gets to really high parts, uh, (laughs) Jesus is giving us an example to imitate when it comes to intentional and meaningful discipleship. Uh, And I wanna put this up. Jesus focused his efforts of discipleship On more intentional and smaller groups. So we have the the 120 disciples. But then he focused on the 72 that he sends out to, to work. But then he had the 12 apostles that he ministered with more closely. But even within that, there was Peter, John, and James that he focused even more time with, developing them and discipling them. See, Jesus focused on smaller and more intentional groups, and through these smaller groups, he changed the world. See, we think that if we have a bigger audience, that means more influence. But Jesus shows that, that when we focus our time on, on intentional and smaller groups, that it leads to exponential influence. See, Jesus saw lives changed and hearts transformed by focusing his efforts on a few. So if you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to make a difference in the church, focus your efforts on a few. But here's the the key, build into them and teach them to do the exact same thing. This is what Paul tells Timothy in his charge to him, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Do you notice that he has four generations in mind, himself, Paul, Timothy, second, the faithful witnesses, faithful men and women, third generation, and fourth, who will be able to teach others also. When you focus your efforts on a few and build into them and teach them to do likewise, you're, you're, you have exponential reach in discipleship. And this kind of discipleship is, is expected in the local church. This is something we need to do. And so if you've been in the faith for a really long time, the charge to you is to look for someone that you can disciple and mature in the faith. And if you're here and you've only been in the faith for a little bit, uh, the call to you is to look for someone who's been in the faith for a long time and ask for discipleship. That when we do this, when we're intentionally developing this culture of of helping one another, maturing one another, building up one another, it shows that we actually see Jesus clearly and we're following His example. But but Luke keeps going, and so we're going to keep going. Uh, he takes along Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. In the book of Luke, the prayers of Jesus are like these mile markers that that point out important events in the book. And so whenever Jesus prays, something important happens. And what happens in this case, look at verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The first thing that Luke wants us to see clearly is this. The son describes a mission that only he can accomplish. The son describes a mission that only he can accomplish. As Jesus prays, his appearance changes. And Luke is giving us these details because he wants us to see the connection between Jesus and Moses in Exodus 34, when Moses is coming down from the mountain. But there's a big difference. See, Moses, his face changed because of the glory that he witnessed. The face of Jesus changes, not because he witnesses glory, but because of the glory that he possesses. Jesus is glory incarnate. He doesn't see glory, he is glory. There's a big difference. And and this is what the writer of Hebrews tries to get across in his first chapter. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What those three disciples and apostles didn't realize is while they're sleeping, Jesus by the word of his power is sustaining their life. He is glory incarnate. And what Luke is doing here is helping us to see a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And this glimpse of glory is just a taste of the glory that's to come. And when Jesus comes again in glory for his saints to gather them to to himself, we will participate in his glory as well. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection to come for us. That he's just a taste of what what awaits us in glory. This is real motivation to continue following Jesus faithfully. And Luke, take a look again at, at verse 30 to 31. Suddenly, two men were talking with him Moses and Elijah they appeared in glory and were speaking about his speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem so, Moses and Elijah appear talking to Jesus. And remember, the crowds thought that Jesus was either Elijah or one of the, the great prophets resurrected. And so, just like in the, the problem that you have in a Spider Man movie, you, know, you don't see Spider Man and Peter Parker in the same room ever. And so, Luke is showing it's clear, Jesus is clearly not Elijah. Jesus is clearly not Moses or one of the great prophets. He's unique and distinct from them. In fact, he's not just unique and distinct. He is better than Moses. He is better than Elijah. How? Let me show you. Verse 31 again. They appeared in glory, and we're speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. See, that word departure literally means exodus, and that exodus that he's going to accomplish is gonna be accomplished where? Where? in Jerusalem, so this is where it's good, we we need to be good Bible readers and and remember the context that we're in, later in the book, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and what awaits there is his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, death, and burial, through that, through what he accomplishes in Jerusalem, he's gonna save his people, So just like Moses, Jesus will save his people, but through a greater exodus. He's better than Moses. Why? Because Jesus doesn't save his people from human enemies, but from the attack of Satan, the power of sin, and the sting of death. Jesus is greater than Moses. He actually saves his people from the greatest problem that we face. And he does this through his death and resurrection in Jerusalem. He's greater than Moses, but he's also greater than Elijah. See, unlike Elijah, Jesus will successfully call his people towards lasting repentance because the law that he writes isn't on tablets or scrolls or parchments, but he writes the law of God on our hearts through the work of his spirit by which he regenerates us and makes us into new creation. He's greater than Elijah. See, this is why we can sing songs like Jesus is better because he is, Jesus is better. And that's why we can be confident that Jesus will never fail, that he will lead us home safely. Jesus is the only one who can do this, the only one who can accomplish this mission, why? Because he's the only one who has power to do it. He is God. We follow the one who wins. See, Luke wants us to see all of this clearly so that we would follow Jesus faithfully, so that we can persevere during the the hardest of circumstances, knowing that Jesus is better. But Luke goes on, look at verse 32. Peter and those who were with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Jesus said, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. So just like the, the kid who's in class, but he's distracted, and the teacher calls on him, and he just blurts out the first thing that comes to mind, uh, Peter wakes up, sees everything that's going on, gets overwhelmed, and just says, Let's build tents. It, it makes no sense. See, but, but before we, we point out what was wrong with that, Peter often gets rubbed the wrong way. But, but he, here's a positive that we see in Peter. Unlike the Israelites, when they see the glory of God and run away, Peter's response is that of a, of a response of faith. He sees it and he presses in. He doesn't run. He presses in. It's a response of faith. And this is an example that we should follow. Because even in moments of fear and uncertainty, we shouldn't run. But instead, we, we press in and we follow Jesus faithfully. But Luke points out that Peter says this not knowing what he was saying. See, Shepard, anytime we, we, we try to switch tasks, I need to give him a five-minute timer. And when that five-minute timer ends, he asks for another five minutes because he wants to keep going. He wants the moment to continue whatever he's doing. In the same way, Peter is trying to tether heaven to earth by building these shelters because he wants to keep this moment going where he's seeing his Old Testament heroes. He wants them to have somewhere cozy to dwell so he can take in their presence. But this is wrong because it would delay the mission that Jesus says he needs to do. Jesus needs to save his people and what what Peter would be doing would be delaying him. But it also revealed that Peter thinks that that Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are equals because he's building them all tents. He's trying to show them equal honor. But this is wrong as well and the Father makes it clear to us. Look at verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Yeah. Did you notice what the father said? Verse 35, this is my son. He is highlighting for us who Jesus is. Jesus is the, the divine son, And what does that mean? Well, the Nicene Creed is incredibly helpful for us in describing that. It says this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, beginning Being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Jesus being the divine son eternally proceeds from his same nature and essence. That's why the Nicene Creed says, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Being of one substance. Jesus being the divine son means that he is God. This is why he's better than Moses and Elijah, because he is supreme over them. He's the one who created them by his word of power. But what the father says, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him, also shows that Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament prophets, Old Testament promises concerning his coming. See, when he says, this is my son, it's referring to Psalm 2, the promise of a Davidic king to come. When he says the chosen one, he's referring to Isaiah 42, the promised servant, the true Israel who conquers through suffering. When he says, listen to him, it's a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, the promised prophet who is greater than Moses, who speaks words on behalf of God. See, Jesus fulfills all of this. That's why the Father says, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. Because Jesus fulfills all of it and all of these promises. And that's why he can accomplish the mission set before him. That's why the the Father tells us to listen to him. That's why the Father tells us and encourages us to engage in an act of wisdom. The Father encourages us to engage in an act of wisdom. One thing I I don't want us to miss as well is that the cloud that appears and and surrounds them is an image of God's presence. In the same way the cloud descended with Moses at Sinai, the cloud points towards a new beginning of a new age under the Mosaic Covenant. So God is showing us here in Luke with the cloud descending on the mountain where Jesus is, a new age is here. A new age is coming and here through Jesus Christ. Now in the passage before, Jesus makes a promise to his apostles. Verse 27, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That promise has now been fulfilled. Jesus shows them that the kingdom is here. The new age under the the new covenant is here. And that's what the the sign is pointing to. And the Father is doing all of this so that we as disciples would trust him when he says, listen to me. Listen to him. And it's wise to listen to him. Here's, Here's what Deuteronomy 18 says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what Jesus fulfills. But here's what, what the passage goes on to say. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name name. See, to the unbeliever, I want to tell you that Jesus came, sent by the Father to speak his words, words of eternal life. And when we trust in him, when we listen to him like the Father calls us to, we we can be sure that we will receive those words, we'll receive the Spirit, we receive forgiveness, and we receive the Spirit in fullness and the right to be called children of God. But but there's also a warning in there as well for the unbeliever and for the believer that if we reject the words that Jesus has spoken, God will hold us accountable. If we reject the words of God, if we reject the scriptures, if we reject the words of Christ, God will hold us accountable. But there's there's another word for us See, Peter, after having witnessed all of this, when he's writing his own epistle, says this to his people in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Yeah. Peter is, is remembering all that has happened but look what he goes on to say. But we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. He's saying that he witnessed Jesus in glory. He saw it all, but he's saying, if you have the word, it's more sure. And he says we need to pay attention to it. We do well to pay attention to it. That means in private, when we're reading the word, don't don't be sleepy when you're doing it. Be awake. Pick a time when you can be fully aware so you can truly listen to the word of God that he's speaking to you. But it also means when we gather together corporately, we need to pay attention. That as we're listening to the preached word of God, that we are paying careful attention. That we're being expository listeners. Here's what the Beatty says about listening well to scripture. When we listen to the preaching of the word, we should not listen primarily for practical how-to advice. Though scripture teaches us much about everyday matters, nor should we listen for messages that bolster our self-esteem or that rouse us to political and social causes. Rather, as members of Christian churches, we should listen primarily for the voice and the message of God as revealed in his word. We should listen to hear what he has written. And here's the key, in his Omniscient love, he did this all for his glory and for our blessing. What he writes is for our good and for our joy. So when we listen carefully to Jesus, we do so by, being, by paying careful attention to his words. And when we pay careful attention to his words, it means that we're actually doing it. We're obeying his word. And when we obey God's word, We're actually obeying God. That's how we follow Jesus faithfully. And Jesus gives us his spirit to be able to do that well. And he goes on, verse 36. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. See, after all of this has happened, It's only Jesus and the three apostles left. Moses and Elijah are gone, nowhere to be seen. And what's being communicated to us by Luke is that there's only one voice we're supposed to listen to. There's only one voice, and that's the voice of Jesus. See, all of the law and the prophets represented by Moses and Elijah have been fulfilled and find their culmination in Jesus Christ. There's no need for three-tenths. Because Jesus is not equal to Moses and Elijah. He is supreme over them. He's supreme over the law and the prophets. And that's the voice we are to listen to. See, Jesus alone accomplishes the mission of saving God's people. Jesus alone speaks with authority. And when he does speak, he speaks saving words. And that's why we listen to him. And Jesus can do All of this because he is the divine eternal son sent by the Father. Luke wants us to see Jesus clearly. And he's given us one of the clearest pictures here in the transfiguration. And when we see him clearly, we are able to follow him faithfully. Because we have seen clearly who Jesus is, he is God incarnate, the one who leads his people successfully home we can be confident that one day we will make it home, that he will lead us in successful triumph into his glory. And that's where we will worship Jesus because of the mission that he has accomplished. Here's what, here's what we'll sing in Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, worthy is a lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to the one seated on the throne, and to the lamb forever and ever. Amen, that's the song we're gonna sing when he leads us home safely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. We thank you for this clear picture of Christ that you've given to us. We pray that you'd help us to to see him clearly so that we might follow you all the days of our life. That by the strength of your spirit that we might do what you've called us to do and that is to listen to him. Be with us as we continue in the service, as we continue in worship to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.